Hey, everybody. How's it going? Everybody good? Um, in the back of the church building, just over here in the corner, there's a bunch of gardens. You guys notice the gardens that we have back there. Uh, I like getting my hands dirty and raising some vegetables. Uh, we, uh, people that have gardens uh, in the plots over there, we contribute a you know, portion of what we harvest uh, to area food banks. So it's kind of a win-win. I get to play in the dirt and we get to uh, donate some uh, homegrown food to people. Heidi, my wife, puts kale down, which I think is a terrible waste of resources. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone would plant that substance in the ground and then eat it. It doesn't make any sense. So she likes to try new and different things. I have a garden for basically one reason, and that is homegrown tomatoes. I love them. I could eat them in any possible way. I love to get a bunch of the canning kind, and we make a bunch of sauce uh, that lasts us all winter. I love it when it's February and there's a blizzard outside, and you get to pop open a jar of fresh salsa. I love it. I could do it. It's one of my favorite parts about the summertime. I love those giant, ugly slicing ones that are kind of half-deformed, and they've got scars on them because they're so big, and they about knock the, the plant over, you know what I'm talking about? I love those kind. You just slice them on a sandwich or uh, just salt and pepper. I'll put just salt and pepper and eat them for lunch. I love those great big uh, giant tomatoes. Absolutely delicious. I, I discovered something last week. I actually kind of told Heidi, I said, hey, is, is this weird? I love the smell of tomato plants. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you're working on the plant itself or you're weeding or just you got your hands in there doing something and then, you know, you'll scratch your nose and I'm like, oh, oh, I was playing with the tomatoes. You guys know that smell? I love it. I don't know what that says about me. There might be a disorder of some kind, but I love, the, I love the smell of tomato plants. The more time you work around the tomatoes, the, the stronger the smell is on your hand. It gets, it gets on there. It reminds me of summertime. That's what it smells like to me. Smells are very powerful, aren't they? Have you guys ever noticed this? They, they tie us to memories, all kinds of memories. Um, sometimes I'll be walking in a store. This happens to me every now and then. And I'll get a whiff of the perfume Chantilly Lace. You guys ever smelled Chantilly Lace before? And I am instantly transported back to my grandma's house. My grandma always wore Chantilly Lace. And when I, I don't even know if I could describe the smell. I, I don't know if you told me what it smelled like. I don't know if I would recognize it. But as soon as I smell it, I'm just like, and, and it's almost like subconscious. You know what I mean? I don't even know that it's happening, but I I am transported back to time spent with my grandma. I probably smelled a little bit like her after being around her. You know what I mean? The smell gets off on you. The Bible kind of talks about smells a little bit in the book of 2 Corinthians. I love this verse. It's kind of a head-scratcher to me a little bit. Uh, Paul, who was one of Jesus' apostles, he's writing to a church in a city called Corinth, and he told them that Jesus' followers are the aroma of Christ. Such an interesting metaphor. I love how, thinking about that. He says we're supposed to be the aroma of Christ around believers and around non-believers. Both of those people are supposed to notice that we smell a little bit like Jesus. My time in the garden makes my hands smell like tomato plants. I love it. Time spent with my grandma, I might smell a little bit like Chantilly Lace, the perfume. And when we spend time with Jesus, he is supposed to rub off on us. We get to smell a little bit like Jesus. 
One of our goals in the Thrive Plan that we've been talking about is to make mature disciples, disciples who are like Jesus in lots of different ways. Disciple is just a fancy word for a follower. And everyone, every one of us should be better followers today than we were last week and than we were 10 years ago. The smell of Jesus needs to permeate everywhere we go, whether we are here in this room with our brothers and sisters or we are outside of this building with people who don't yet believe in Jesus. Part of that smell, this is the hard part, is that we are like servants everywhere we go. It's not often in the Gospels where we get a little glimpse of what the disciples' lives were like before they met Jesus. We really don't have a whole lot of details about their lives at all. But we get a tiny little sneak peek in Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today uh, for the first part of the sermon. If you want to open up your Bibles, uh, that'll be in there. Or uh, you can look on the screen behind me. Uh, In Matthew chapter 20, uh, James, John, and their mom went up to Jesus to ask a favor. I think that's so funny, the, the, the three of them. We get to meet James and John's mom just for a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 is where we're going to be. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, we don't even get to know mom's name, we just get to know who her husband and her kids were. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor him of him. Him is Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at, the, at your right hand, and the other at the left in your kingdom. I don't know why. In my mind, every time I picture this verse, I always picture mom going up to Jesus all by herself, kind of pulling him aside and saying, Jesus, I have a favor to ask of you. But this time in my studies, I noticed that there's a very key phrase. Did you see it? She came to Jesus with her sons. So all three of them are there with Jesus, and mom's doing the talking. These are grown men. This is not going to be a good experience. You know what I'm saying? Not a good look for James and John. Uh, Her request is a doozy, isn't it? You get a ton of information in this little tiny request. We realize what James, John, and their mom thought that Jesus was here to do. They were thinking that Jesus was headed toward a political victory or a military victory, and every number one has to have a number two and a number three, right, on his, on, at his side. Hey, Jesus, if you don't mind, when you overthrow the Romans, can James and John be number two and number three on your right and on your left? Verse 22, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Drink the cup is a metaphor. It means something. It's like saying, Are you able to endure the things that I am about to endure? And all of us who, have, who knows what's coming for Jesus are saying, No, you can't. We know what's about to happen to Jesus, so don't be so quick to say, "Yeah, oh yeah, we got it, no problem at all. Jesus says, like, it's coming, you're going to get it no matter what, but you don't even know what you're asking. All this doesn't really matter because Jesus says, hey, listen, it's not up to me, and I love this. So often in the Gospels, Jesus defers to what God the Father has already decided. He is the one, he is, Jesus came to do his Father's will. So he says, guys, it is not up to me. 
you're going to get your request. You're, you're gonna, you, ask, you say that you can drink the cup that I'm going to drink, and you're going to, but I don't get to decide who's, who's at my right and who's at my left. Let's keep going. When the ten heard about this, who's the ten? The rest of the disciples, right? They were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but uh, sorry, not, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we get to the nitty gritty of what it means to be a disciple, don't we? Jesus uses the arrogance of the two brothers to kind of teach a lesson to the rest of the disciples. Take our local government officials or state officials or nation officials. They have power, don't they? They get to decide things. They make sure that we know that they have power, correct? And they use the power to make decisions and tell people what to do and make people do things they don't want to do. But the disciples, these 12 disciples, but also us, the disciples, we are supposed to be very different. God's kingdom does not work like that. It's upside down, isn't it? If we want to be important in God's kingdom, well, you've got to be a servant, a slave, actually. That is not a nice word. That is not something that we advertise to people on their very first Sunday. Welcome to Central Christian Church, where we all get to be slaves, right? Slaves do not have rights. There aren't any. Slaves do not get to have opinions and preferences. Slaves don't have a will other than what their master tells them to do. That's their will. Slaves don't get to say things aren't fair or they're tired or their back hurts from working too much. And if we want to be great in God's kingdom, well, that's what we're supposed to be like. And I am not very good at that. How about you all? This random example popped in my head this week of a time when somebody served our family uh, incredibly well. Um, Boy, it's been, I should have added up how many years ago, 14 or 15 years ago, uh, my father was in a car accident, and he was out of town, so we all had to travel to where he was, and it was, our kids were a lot younger then, and a hospital waiting room is no fun for grown-ups, but it's even less fun for little kids, and I'll never forget, my uncle's wife uh, said, hey, you know, bring all the cousins over to my house, I'll take a couple days off work, and I'll watch all the kids uh, while you guys are at the hospital so you can concentrate. And it, it, I had never met this woman before. Uh, my, hus- or my uncle had gotten remarried, and so she was brand new. Like, I was meeting her, and she was saying, hey, let me watch your kids. And to be honest, I never talked to her again after that. I mean, she lives in a different city, and we just don't ever, you know, come into contact with each other. But for two or three days while we were in the hospital with my dad, she watched all the cousins who she had never met and took care of them so that we could concentrate on being with my dad. And I, I don't know why, it just popped into my head of how good a job she did of serving my family in a time when we needed help. You know what I'm saying? I got another example. 
Uh, my wife and I used to live overseas, well, the kids too, uh, as uh, we worked as church planners. And transportation was always really hard for us. Uh, our budget was about as razor thin as you could get. And so when it came time to purchase things like vehicles, I mean, it was so hard for us to accumulate uh, any kind of you know, down payment or much less uh, pay for the car itself. We had a, a diesel minivan. I can't remember what kind it was, but it was a clunker. And what, finally, the, the minivan died. It, was, <laughs> it gave up the ghost, was not going to work anymore. And I didn't know what to do. Me and my teammate, Kyle, we started to shop for cars. I might have told you all this story before. And we're going to all, the, all these dealerships, and we're looking for vehicles, and we can't find a thing. And I don't mean we can't find anything that we can afford. I mean we literally can't find a vehicle for sale that is big enough to hold my family of six. It just didn't exist. So I'm not exaggerating. We probably went to 20 dealers in and out of the city where we lived. We're going all over. Finally, we show up at a dealer, and right out in front, there is a blue Opal Zafira, kind of mini uh, station wagon-ish. It had uh, pop-up seats in the very back. You know what I'm talking about? Nicest car I had ever seen or been in. You know what I mean? If anything, we looked at it. We went for a test drive, and I thought, well, this is nice, but I don't even know why we're wasting time. We can't afford it, right? And we get to the part where you sit down with the salesman. The salesman, you know, we're talking the price, and Kyle, my teammate's kind of sensing that I'm, you know, shifted in my seat and ready to go because there's no reason to waste anybody's time, and out of nowhere, my teammate says, we'll take it. And I thought, oh gosh, no, no, we won't. I don't know who we is, but it's not he and this guy, right? But he said, we'll take it. The salesman goes and, you know, gets the paperwork ready, and he leans over to me, and he says, me and my wife want to purchase this car for you guys. Don't worry about it. It's our treat. Who buys somebody a car, right? Like, I could, I've never had anything happen like that before, where he just leaned over and he took care of a need that uh, we had and that we had no clue how we were ever going to meet it. God knew how we were going to meet it, right? But we did not have a clue um, how it was going to happen. He just took care of a need quietly without a big fanfare. He didn't put it in his newsletter about what a wonderful per- family they have because they bought somebody a car. They just met a need that we had. No questions asked. It was his money. I want to be like that. I want to be willing to watch a bunch of kids that I never met so uh, family can go and be with their father in the hospital. I want to be the kind of person who says, I got your car, don't worry about it. I say I want to be like that, but I don't think my actions already always line up uh, with that. Being a servant is a servant is costly. It costs me money, it costs me time, it costs my physical body. It might be humbling sometimes to be someone's servant. It might mean saying no to something else that I really, really want to do. But if we want to be great in God's kingdom, if we want to, make, to let our faith make a difference in this world, then it's kind of a race to the bottom, right? Who can be the biggest servant in the world? Can I tell you guys a pet peeve of mine? There's many, ask Heidi. But one of, <laughs> I used to work at a, at a college, and the department uh, that I worked in, uh, we had a woman who was um, the PR person for the college. And so all the time, anytime something good happened at the school 
or one of the students, you know, achieved something or accomplished something great, she would send out all these press releases, right? She'd type up a little you know, one-page press release, send it to all the newspapers, the TV channels, that kind of thing, and say, hey, guess how amazing, you know, so-and-so is, or guess what wonderful thing the college did uh, in our city, and I hated it, because it was like, we were doing something good. We, our, our campus was serving our community in some way, and then we bragged about it. Now, I know colleges are not necessarily churches. It's not totally the same thing. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, I thought, well, I think this is not what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Servants don't issue press releases. Slaves do not print those giant checks and stand there for, you know, uh, people to take their pictures and put them on the news. It's just supposed to happen quietly and in the background. I think we have to train our eyes to get good at this because honestly, sometimes my life goes at such a speed I don't even see the things that need to get done. You guys feel that way? You're just busy getting to the next destination that you don't even notice the five opportunities to serve that you passed up. Needs are all around us, but if we're not looking for them, we're probably going to miss them. A good servant is always looking for ways to meet somebody's needs. I love it when uh, Brian Beck's getting ready to go on a trip of some kind. This happened when they uh, went on their road trip last month. Inevitably, somebody will pull me aside uh, or pull, pull Brian aside and say, hey, I want to take care of the registration for so-and-so. Or sometimes I want to I pay for two registrations. Just I don't even need to know who. And they just write a check and make sure that's taken care of. There's no trumpets, you know, when they write the check and drop it off with Naomi. It just happens. It just gets taken care of. And I get to observe it only because they needed to know how to get that taken care of. Do you know what I mean? It's my favorite thing in the whole world, and it happens every single time uh, the youth group does something like that. And I love it. Nobody ever asks, say, hey, we help pay for a kid's registration. It just gets taken care of. There's guys that stop by the church in the middle of the week and fix something that they notice uh, was broken. Nobody asked them to fix it. If I happen, didn't happen to walk by them when they were fixing it, nobody would ever even known they were here. Uh, they paid for the parts. Uh, they brought their own tools, and it just got fixed. They served the Central Christian Church family well. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with being a servant? If we're not intentional about being a servant, chances are it's not going to happen. It is unnatural for us to behave like servants. It's way too easy to get busy doing other things. How tuned are our eyes to recognizing the needs that exist in the church and outside the church? If you're 80, there's ways to serve. If you have a family with little kids, there are ways to serve. If you are in the youth group, there are ways to serve. A while back, an opportunity to help somebody kind of fell in my lap, in my lap but it was the evening. And I had already had dinner, and Franny and I were thinking about watching some kind of movie um, on Netflix. And somebody called and said, hey, I need help with this. And boy, I didn't want to go. I don't think I was quite in my pajamas, but I was headed that direction. And it was something that I knew wasn't going to be super time-consuming. And there was a part of me that thought, well, spending time with Francesca is important. That's true, right? 
Spending time with our kids is important, but spending time with our kids while serving somebody in need is even more important. And I don't know, I think the Holy Spirit kind of whacked me upside the head and said, Brian, go and take care of this need. And then take Franny for ice cream afterwards. That's what we did. Uh, I don't always say yes to those opportunities when they land on me, when they're inconvenient or you know, when it's not super planned into my schedule time in, uh, way in advance. Uh, Harvey Lehman, you guys know Harvey? Sometimes he calls the church, uh, calls me because he needs a ride to an appointment. You guys know that his, his wife uh, had a stroke many years ago, and getting her in the vehicle, especially when the appointment isn't for her, is such an ordeal. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how difficult that is just for just if you had to go to the store to buy a loaf of bread, much less a medical appointment. So sometimes he calls me and he says, hey, would you mind, you know, taking me here and there or whatever. And he called on a day when I just couldn't. I had, I was booked up solid the exact time when he needed something. So I sent out a message to a couple guys and like, hey, no clue if anybody's available. It's the middle of the afternoon, but if you're off today, could you help uh, Harvey get to the dentist? I think we took him to. And I will never forget, just yesterday, young guy in our church, uh, so he said, yep, I'll go, no problem. And then yesterday I found out that he took his kids with him. And I thought, ooh, boy, you made that more complicated. You know what I mean? Now you've got Harvey and the kids in the car at, while you're waiting for the appointment to happen. But after I went home and I thought about it and I thought, nope, that is the exact right thing he should have done, right? Pile the kids in the car and introduce them to Harvey. <laughs> he to meet a cool old guy, Right? And the kids get to see dad putting somebody else's needs before their needs. I thought that was a really, really good thing for him to do. Was it convenient? <laughs> nope. Was it probably a little irritating? Yes. Do kids lose their patience in that kind of uh, environment? Yep. But was it the right decision? Yep. I think it was. There are ways for busy people to serve in God's kingdom. And our kids need to see us making time to serve others. Maybe sometimes they need to see us not putting them in position number one in our lives. Do you know what I mean? That they need to know that there's other stuff happening in the world that we need to be a part of. They need to see us quietly serving people, not making a big fuss about it. They need to know that God's kingdom is more important than soccer or dance classes or any of the other things that we put as very important. The choice is going to cost us something. And if it doesn't cost us anything, it probably isn't serving at all. It might be more of a press release that we created for doing something good. So do you, do we have the aroma of Christ? It's kind of a different metaphor, but I really like it. Do you smell like Jesus? Have you been around him enough to, for his odor, who he is to rub off on you and cause you to serve people the way that he did? Do people inside the church look around at everybody else? Do they think that you smell like Jesus because of how you act and how you serve? If our church is going to thrive, we have got to do a great job of this. We all have to have, we should have contests to see who can outserve each other. When given the opportunity to serve somebody else, we should jump at the chance. And let me give you a word of caution. This is a hard one for me. Don't just write a check when you hear about a need. That is the easiest thing that we can do, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? 
I mean, money, we've all got a limited amount of money, but we even have less time. Writing a check is really the easiest way for us to meet a need. Serving someone with our time is the hardest. Later this week, I I thought about this this past week. Later this week, I'm going to send out an email. I'm just going to put out, here's a list of all the needs that I know about right now. It's going to be central needs. It's going to be outside the church needs. I'm going to send it out to everybody in the room. And you just decide, what is it, what is it, how is it that I can get these needs met? You don't got to tell anybody. I'm not going to publish a list of all the great things that Larry did this week and what a wonderful person he is. It's going to be anonymous. I'm going to send out a list of needs and we're going to see what we can get taken care of. It's kind of my favorite. It's one of the favorite parts of my job. I hear, you know, people call me, hey, I got this need. And then I sit there at my desk and I go like this and I go, hmm. How can we figure that out? And then I call somebody, and that somebody says, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I go, yes. <laughs> I connected somebody. Get it? That's, that's my title. See, connections minister. I, it's my favorite thing to do in the whole world. And all I did was make a phone call. And I, we have a need in the community, and I found somebody that can meet it. It's good, good stuff. So if you respond to my email, I'll have a great week. There's a second part of smelling like Jesus. We're supposed to smell like him when we're outside of this room with the world, with people who don't believe in Jesus and aren't following him. Do people outside the church, what do they think you smell like? Do you smell like Jesus? Can they tell that you have spent time around him? This is a little harder, I think. Are we willing to be a servant to people who aren't yet following Jesus? Are you willing to serve your one person? To introduce them to Jesus by how you act around them? By the way that you take care of their needs? What do we do if that person thinks differently than we do? What if they vote differently than we do? What if they feel differently about abortion or LGBTQ issues? What do you do then? Do we serve them? What if they're an atheist? What if they're woke? What if they watch the wrong news channel? What if they love whichever president you don't like at all? What if they're a bad neighbor? What if she's a terrible boss or the most annoying coworker that you have? What if they're your teacher and they treat you unfairly? Are there any escape clauses that Jesus listed that if, if so-and-so is like this, if they voted for the wrong person, well, then you don't have to serve them anymore. You're off the hook. You're off the hook. They are not. We serve people that are unlike us because it's good for us. And it's because it's what Jesus did. He is the ultimate example of servanthood. And it took him all the way to the cross. That's how far his service went to death. So do we get to stop serving when it's inconvenient or when it costs us? I don't think so. The way that we serve people outside the church could be the very way that they meet Jesus for the first time. They meet him because you smell like him. Do you think that our church will do that you think our church will thrive if we do a good job of this of smelling like Jesus when we are outside of these four walls? Isn't this one of the biggest parts about being Jesus' disciple? I don't want us to get overwhelmed. I preach a sermon like this and I think, 
I have to serve everybody? <laughs> everybody? How do I do that? How could I possibly meet all the needs that there are to meet? That, just the ones that I know about. How can I serve the entire world? I can't. You can't. But I can serve the people in the circle that God has placed in my life. I think about the people that you know, co-workers, just people that you bump into on a daily basis. God put those people in your life for a reason. He is waiting for you to smell like Jesus to them. I stole some ideas, some practical things. Uh, Sherm gave me some notes for this sermon. And I just copied and pasted what he had because I thought what he had was really practical and helped me take a little bit of a breath when I thought, how am I supposed to meet these needs? Number one, serve somebody who can't serve you back. That's a good one. Service in God's kingdom isn't a, I'll scratch my back, you scratch yours. Or I didn't say that right. <laughs> I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Is that right? Yes, that's the one, right? That is not what servanthood in God's kingdom is. It is not to be reciprocal. It's one directional. Two, perform an act of service that no one will ever notice. Take care of something that nobody knew needed to be taken care of. Number three, find something that needs to be done that others have overlooked, which happens. And then do it without saying anything negative about those people who passed it up. Ah, that's a hard one. I can't believe nobody noticed this piece of trash in the hallway, right? Just take care of it and don't worry about it. Number four, keep a right heart by remembering that service isn't for you. If you gain anything in your act of service, we're probably not doing it right, are we? To finish this morning, I'm going to end with uh, a beautiful example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're actually going to watch uh, what Jesus did. His probably ultimate lesson, his ultimate object lesson that he had when he taught the disciples what it means to serve. It's straight out of John chapter 13. Uh, I'm just going to conclude with, by reading that passage. I think sometimes the, the act of service that Jesus performs in this story is a little hard for us to relate to because we don't do it at all anymore. It is just culturally not something that happens in our world. But if we think about his motivation and the humility that we see, that's the things that we can copy. That's what we can learn from. And church, if we get really good at this, then we are going to thrive. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for, us, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water from a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Oh, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. 
Then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would help us to serve people in the way that Jesus served people, in an absolutely selfless, sacrificial way, self-sacrificing way. Father, help us to have the eyes of your Son. I pray that our minds would be attuned to the Spirit whenever He places Uh, kind of prompts us to serve in some way, I pray that we would listen and obey. Father, so often we just get busy and we go about our day and we forget about the number of needs there are to meet. But I pray that we would have kingdom eyes this week and that we would serve people very well. I pray especially that we would serve people outside of this room, people who are not followers of you. God, may, may we be your ambassadors, may we bring people into your kingdom because of the way we treated them. Thank you, Father, for using us broken and goofy and messed up as we are. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.